Okay, so I'd like to uh, convene this meeting of the Park and Rec Advisory Board. It's Monday, May 8th, 2023. And uh, Roger, you want to read some of your stuff? Yes, I do. For us? Thank you. Good evening, everyone. We want to remind the people on, on the Zoom meeting that this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel, Channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for the public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to, to me. So if you have questions, you can or have issues with your Zoom, you can you can make a chat to me. And then unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn off your video. This allows for the active member participants to be seen, like our advisory board members who are also participating in this meeting, and then those in the room. Uh, BC. You will still be able to hear the meeting when you are participating. Please turn on your video. If you have trouble, you can always send me a chat. As I said, the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during meetings. And then um, a few notes on public comment, which I guess we'll get to here in a minute. So you can go ahead with Oh, okay. So uh, first order of business is to approve the meeting minutes for Monday, April 10th. Anybody have an issue with any of the content of the minutes? And can we get a motion? Marilyn Hall, board member, I move we approve the minutes of the April board meeting. Second. Amber Nichol, board member, I will second the motion. Okay. Um, all in favor? Okay. No, no opposed. We'll now start the public comment. We have two. We know there's people here who are wanting to talk about uh, the Prairie Park uh, situation. Um, that public comment will come in a few minutes. We start with general public comment on an item that's not on the agenda. So who, who do we, we have? Yeah, there's a couple people. Okay. Well, and let me go ahead and read something here first, if I can. Uh, for public comment, when it's time for public comment, individuals attending in person will be called upon from the uh, sign-in sheet that I have people sign in. And then I'll have you take a seat where I'm at. I'll remove myself and you can sit here so the people at home can hear you as well. Um, and then we'll turn that, you know, basically your three minutes will start and the individual participating on Zoom will use the raise hand feature if those people want to speak. We'll have you raise your hand and then we'll do the first people in the room and then we'll go to Zoom after that. So if you do want to speak, please raise your hand and just keep that feature on until you're called upon to speak. And then uh, please state your name before speaking and all comments again are limited to three minutes. And I'll turn it back over to you. Okay. Um, and we're gonna to try to really stick with the three minutes since we have a number of people here. We're going to comment on various, on the, uh, on the uh, nature center issue. So do you wanna come on up and introduce yourself and then uh, tell us what you'd like to say. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Joseph Kenny, and I'm here. Well, I am interested in hearing uh, what the statement is about the prairie itself. I'm here to speak about the Nature Center specifically. 
Uh, I raised concerns recently about some changes or removal of services to the nature center, specifically the intake for injured wildlife and rehabilitation. Uh, I was someone who was strongly against the closure or the sale of the nature center when that was raised last year and went to speak to the city commission about that. So now hearing about the changes in services and the removal, it feels like a closure in everything but name. Uh, it's something that I feel very strongly about. And my worry is that with all of these changes starting to stack up on itself, it's going to be a very short time before the nature center starts losing animals due to transfer or due to being put down because there is no other facility that can take them at the time. Uh, that was something I was very against from the very beginning. And I have no assurances and no confidence now that that won't be coming. Uh, in fact, I feel pretty confident that the city will have no option but to euthanize some of these animals or transfer them. Uh, the educational purposes of them is incredibly helpful for that neighborhood and incredibly helpful for the city. So I would be very disappointed not only in parks and recreation, but the city as a whole if that was a resource or an asset that was lost. Uh, finally, uh, with all of these changes, I am very interested in finding out if the inability to take these injured wildlife animals now, just as the main example, if these are parks and recreation decisions or if these are decisions that are being handed down by the city manager in the financial office. Uh, really, I just want to get to the source of why the city took the closure and sale of that land and that nature center off the table last year. But now it feels that the nature center is losing what purpose it did serve. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> any other um, any other public comments? Yeah, here. Mm -hmm. Good evening, Steve Bernson. Um, I'm a owner of a local Lawrence pickleball coaching and event company called uh, Cobb Valley Pickleball. And I'd like to talk about Lions Park Pickleball Courts rental policy. Uh, last month, my company spent nearly $400 renting courts at Sports Pavilion Lawrence. And last fall, uh, prior to going through the time and expense to become a certified pickleball coach through the sports governing body of the USAPA, I familiarized myself with the rules regarding the paid pickleball instruction on city courts, and it was explained to me that paid coaching was only allowed on rented courts. So you can rent SPL indoor, you can rent outdoor at SPL, um, but that's where I'm in a bit of a catch-22 with regard to clients. Um, you can only do paid instruction at Lions if it's rented, but courts aren't available to be rented. Uh, they can be reserved through a special permit. Um, you know, that's great if you're wanting to run uh, a full day or a two-day tournament, rent all eight courts for the whole day, but that doesn't really accommodate an hourly rental for, say, a family group or, you know, a group of, say, eight players that are prepping for a tournament. Um, and so, you know, like I said, it's a bit of a catch-22 there. Uh, and I'm a rule follower, so, you know, I, I definitely don't want to step uh, beyond the bounds. You know, I, I strictly adhere to the policies, no paid coaching on city courts, unless they're reserved. Uh, but given that, I'm also, you know, I have a keen eye for any of my competitors. As pickleball continues to grow, more people go through the certification process for coaching. Uh, I don't want to be in a situation where some of my competitors are out there getting paid under the table through Venmo, and I'm following the rules. So, um, 
You know, in the two years I've become immersed in pickleball, I've played at every multi-court public facility in a hundred mile radius. Uh, Emporia, Topeka, Overland Park, Lenexa, Liberty, Missouri. Um, I've seen all different types of court rental policies, some things that are done well, and some things that even those parks and rec departments have admit that they would like to improve and do better. Um, you know, one example, uh, pretty much across the board, and this is something that I would uh, recommend, is a 50% capacity on rentals. So if you have eight courts, only allow up to four courts to be rented at an hourly rate. That always allows some courts to be available for public use, um, you know, and then it's usually members in the community that are renting the courts and, and playing. Um, at Boyce Park and Lenexa, they have a rule where um, you have to be a Lenexa resident to rent. And that's something that, that I'd be in favor of making as a, a policy for Lawrence as well. Um, you know, I think also you'd want to set the, the hourly price at a reasonable rate. Uh, again, it, in Lenexa at Boyce Park, they've set the rate at $10 an hour. And so there were groups of players that were like, man, that's like the best deal in town. They actually literally went and rented three days a week, three hours a night for four months and blocked it out at that price. And that caused a bit of an upstart. You know, you can see how it would be a problem. Um, and well, that's my time. So thank you. <laughs> thank is you. There's someone on staff that we could talk to. Uh, yeah. Lindsay, our assistant director. I've, I've been in communication with Steve, so oh, well, we definitely talk a lot. Okay. All right. Um, anybody else? Other comments? I'm sorry. Right. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Lori Greenfield. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I am the uh, Prairie Park uh, Neighborhood Association Vice President. I spoke at the commission a couple of times. Um, I've lived in Lawrence over 30 years. My kids are fifth generation Lawrence. Um, my in-laws grew up in North Lawrence, where we were rats. <laughs> and so um, I'm a coach, a gardener. Um, I also work at Prairie Park um, Elementary School. I've been there for 23 years. Um, I ventured over to Prairie Park Nature Center every year with my kids. Um, my own three kids went through the programs at the Prairie Park Nature Center. Um, they've learned archery, fishing, um, animals, all, a whole array. Um, I even worked for Parks and Rec uh, when I was going to college. Uh, and then and the parks, uh, actually, I was right here with the uh, playground um, program. So I'm very familiar with um, Parks and Rec and, and how, it, how it works. My, my thing today is, um, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know, I have a lot of different emotions here um, because as a parent and potentially a grandparent, probably sometime in the nearer future than I care to you know, choose, um, I, I, will, I want this to continue for our kids. Um, the Nature Center, I've had hundreds of kids go through my classroom and go through Prairie Park. They all talk about the Nature Center. They talk about going over there when they can't go home. Um, there's no one home, so they go over and they are, uh, you know, getting an education beyond school. Um, they talk about, um, you know, the, the different things of environmental, um, you know, how we treat our earth. And with Earth Day just having happened, 
Um, they talked a lot about, oh, I've seen this at the Nature Center, or I learned about these things. Um, you know, it is embedded um, with our Lawrence kids. Um, questions. I'm not sure how um, the city of Lawrence can take donated items and pack it up uh, and, you know, do something else with it if it was donated to the Nature Center. I'm not sure my donations to the Nature Center can go to anything else but the Nature Center. Those, those donations were given... Um, you know, it, it's a fiscal responsibility for the city that those donations go to the entity it's donated. So I have questions there. Um, and then the spray, um, you know, I that is a, a hazard. Um, and so I would like, you know, some answers that way too. So thank you very much. And I hope that you can think about the kids and Lawrence. The, the Nature Center, the issues, the broader issue with the Nature Center is really a budgetary issue. Uh, and, and that's where that discussion really has to take place, I think. Um, anybody else? There is somebody. Melinda, general public comment? Yes. Um, my Hello. My name is Melinda Ball. I'm an active voter and 20-year taxpaying resident of Lawrence. Last week, uh, I spoke during the city commissioner meeting, uh, voicing my rage, frustration, and true disappointment with the Parks and Rec Department over the massacre of Remnant Prairie at the Prairie Park Nature Center. Today, I'm here to continue that message to emphasize how destructive, irresponsible, and foolish it was. Excuse me. Excuse me just a minute. Linda, it's on the agenda, so we'll have you hold those comments. Until it's also it is also related to the Prairie Park Nature Center. Okay. 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 So... Furthermore, yeah, it was incredibly hard not to consider this was a, a this absurd act was a deliberate attempt to erode the importance of the Prairie Park Nature Center and the acreage surrounding it. The following points lead me and possibly others to see an effort to allow developers to destroy this land and remove the ability to educate future generations of the significance of nature via the Prairie Park Nature Center. One. The aforementioned killing of native plants. Two, closing the Prairie Park Nature Center gift shop. Three, stolen donations directly meant for the Prairie Park Nature Center. Four, removing the donation box. Five, removing the ability to take in injured wildlife. And six, no response or follow-up from last year's brainstorming session of which I attended. Allowing developers to take this land is not only against the community, community's views. We saw the turnout last year in support of Prairie Park Nature Center during last year's defunding proposal. It also steals public access to priceless resource, nature, all in the name of private profit. profit. Is the park and rec on track to close the Prairie Park Nature Center? Are there one or more developers set to take public land for private use? Thank you. Thank you. Um, anybody else? General comments? Actually, I want Steve as well. I'm sorry? I want Steve as well. Okay. Sorry, I didn't realize that. No, you're good.
My name is Gabriel O'Brien. I'd like to speak about the Bird Park Nature Center, specifically from what I've heard so far from people talking about it today. Seems like it's more than just a mismanagement of resources. It borders on malicious, and I have some serious questions for every single person involved, from bottom all the way to the top. Never mind the Prairie Park Prairie itself. That's another issue. All of these erosions of these different services that exist at this facility has only one possible outcome. And any person with logic will say that that looks like you all want to get rid of it because it's hard to manage stuff like that. But it is your job and your duty. Americans and people in this community pay taxes for y'all to find a solution to that problem. You're in service to the community. It is your civic duty. Every moment that you wake up and every moment you go to bed, you should be thinking about a way to make those things possible. <clears throat> From what it provides to the community in terms of education, what it provides for children, or what it provides just natural education in general is something not very many people understand. And one of the number one things that we're starting to not really understand is plant life and how effective it is at helping manage our environment. We can figure out a way to educate children to live with their environment, clean up after themselves, not throw in trash, litter, understand how wildlife lives and how to save it and give it a second chance, those are all far more valuable than all the money in the world because we only got one earth. And when's the last time you heard anyone talk about deforestation? Nobody talks about it anymore. All these different plants, all these different things, I think you should be expanding the nature center specifically. That's what I personally believe. Be the great spoon to all of these children who give them the ability to find, how do I put this, a future where we can all live in harmony on this planet. There's no other way will we find it. We can't keep on pushing nature and thinking we can play God. It's not working, clearly. And I don't think it's going to get any better until we take stock of that. Earnestly, sincerely, all together, find a future where that's possible. That's pretty much all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think I would like to comment on that first issue as well. I was not aware of all these um, things going on about it. Kind of horrifying. Yeah, my name is Hank Laristo. I've been at Lawrence for well over 50 years. Came here to go to KU in college. And um, I really enjoyed uh, the Nature Center and uh, was amazed, uh, not really amazed, but heartened by the turnout last fall, by everyone across um, all walks of life, all the economic and social, whatever strata. That throws to me that Prairie Park Nature Center is what I would call a keystone species, keystone institution, just like a keystone species is in an ecological sense, it's like a bison. These are keystone species. They control the environment uh, and other you know, create an environment for, for the whole community. Well, a city like Lawrence, or any other cities, I mean, there are keystone institutions. Hospital, you lose your hospital, forget it. 
It's happened in Southeast Kansas. Right, Mark, thank you, sir. I think it's also in that in that regard, would be a standalone institution. And I'll do nothing about wildlife and parks, uh, wildlife parks and recs, because it, it really deserves its own standing and not the, always at the uh, rim of the budget cut, which, you know, the explanation was, well, the algorithm made me do it. Well, if the algorithm made you cut the fire department, would you do that? Follow the algorithm, or would you think maybe the algorithm is wrong? So I was horrified to see that people spent hundreds of hours that evening, in total, probably thousands, protesting this. And it just shows that the management of the city is not in line, it's so out of touch with the, the wishes of the people that people had to spend all this time just to tell them that. You know, this was not what we want to do. Just as if, you know, you said, well, okay, let's cut the fire department. Let's cut this out. Which the algorithm maybe do it. So that was kind of it. But uh, I'm shocked to see that there are actually these different things are happening to just, uh, you know, wither away at the service and the nature center. Is that being done at the, at the administration the parks department or is this being done? More at the city level, and it's under the parks department. So I guess are they the ones who decided to cut the you know, all these other things? It's ridiculous. I can't understand that at all. And um, so that's and you know I came in here and I read these um, you know commitments of the large strategic plan. Sound fiscal stewardship, effective use of sustainable management resources that align with community priorities. Another one, environmental sustainability, deep respect for our place in the, and the relationship with the planet and environment. So I don't think these actions conform with that in the least. As a matter of fact, they're totally antithetical to, to these things. So thank you. Any other general comments? Got one behind you. My name is Andrew Doffel. Um, I'm originally from Ohio. I worked at the Woodland Trail Scout Reservation Ecology Conservation Center for eight years. And I too am also concerned about your nature center. A nature center is a really critical part of any sort of functioning community. The education of not only our youth, but also of the individuals in it, of the wildlife and plants and other species that we coexist with, I feel is a really important part to make sure that we as a community are able to properly support the ecology and the other types of diversity. You've never really, I felt, lived until you have helped a scout or a young person get over a fear of a snake. Because unfortunately, well, I, I do, I do, I love snakes. I work with them all the time. And the thing is, a lot of individuals, right, if they see a snake on their property, they're going to kill it, which is, to, which is it's, it's, it's disheartening because a snake is not going to hurt you. Most animals aren't. And I feel that in order for a nature center to properly be able to perform its functions, which, again, you do have a very beautiful nature center coming from someone who ran a nature center for eight years, you really have to support it. And there, there seems to be a very huge community outcry to continue the support of this nature center. And I would definitely be one for that, especially given the resources and the types of stuff like that. And so I'd like to see the return of certain things such as the donation box and the gift shop, which from working for a nonprofit, Scouts BSA, 
I understand are important things to be able to support financially an institution like that. In addition, the services that a nature center provide are also critical to being able to perform any sort of nature positions. And I feel that those are important information that the Parks and Recreation Division should be considering. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, my name is um, Daniel Lassman. I'm a, a professional restoration ecologist here in the area. Uh, my restoration ecology is the process of restoring native landscapes to health. Um, so uh, me and uh, uh, Courtney Masterson of uh, Native Lands LLC, I guess now Native Lands um, collect, uh, uh, Collective. Are you going to talk about the the uh, prairie. Yes. Yeah, that's on the agenda. I need to wait until we work till we get to the agenda. Yeah, misunderstood. My bad. Yep. Yeah. Are there other general comments? I don't know if seem to be seeing that general. Okay, so let's move on then. But I want to first ask. Uh, staff, uh, tell us the timetable on the budget process. What 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 is the, the entire budget? Well, the the capital budget, and then also the uh, yeah the general fund. That's where the nature center money comes out of the general fund, right? So the capital budget has been submitted to City Hall. Okay. We're seeing it back here in about a month and then refine and go into the city commission. The operating budget for departments is due at the end of May. And then we submit it. Then we have meetings with the city management staff to refine the budget. And then it heads to the city commission in June or July. So, and they have an opportunity to look at what's been submitted, make changes, and then we head for an August approval. Okay. All right. So will you come to us? Um, when it comes to proposing the budget, or is that just something that, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to seek input? Where are you going to seek the input when it yeah, comes to the budget? That's process? a good question, and it's a timing issue. So our, our due date for our department submittal is the end of this month. So if we wanted to do a, a presentation to the advisory board, we'd have to probably do a special meeting. All right. Well, I just want to tell everybody that um, you really the, the issues that you're bringing up are, are are priority issues. You know what's important, what's not important. Those are those are really get expressed concretely when it comes when it comes to the budget. And so, being able to have some input into the budget process is really, really important. And it sounds now that that needs to come when the city commission is looking at the general fund budget. That's when you need to, you really need to show up, okay? Okay, now let's see, um, we'll move on to agenda item number one, which is believe it or not, the Prairie Park update. And Derek has some introductory comments. And I, I do want to tell the board too that there were some comments that I emailed you and they were placed on the agenda um, earlier afternoon. 
And then another email went out to those people that sign up for the agenda, just to let people know that we do have those public comments that were specifically for the board that they got to you. Yeah. Okay. And they were, they were very thoughtful too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Derek is a Parks and Rec director and um, he's going to give us a Prairie Park uh, update. The, uh, my understanding is that city commission has asked um, Parks and Rec for a uh, after action report. Uh, and so that will be forthcoming at some point. And that will be a public document as well. So you'll really be able to see what that, what that is. And uh, again, uh, you know, some input to the city commission um, regarding that. The content of that is really of, of significant value. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, maybe an inappropriate time to the question. Isn't there any timetable for when that report might become publicly available? I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, is there any time frame or a schedule for when that report would become available? Uh, no. If you want me to provide an update, I'll provide an update. Okay. Turn over All right. Let's, let's have Derek talk about Hello, it. I'm Derek Rogers, Director of Orange Parks and Recreation. Tonight, I'll provide an update and review about the decision to spray herbicide over the entire nature of prairie area. But before we do that, I want to iterate that we share the committee's sorrow regarding the unintended impact this caused. This was done in error. It was not done intentionally nor maliciously, and we are committed to learning from this and we'll do everything we can to rectify the decision or this situation to the best of our ability. Now, I don't normally talk to the public comment, but I do want to stick a fork in the uh, conspiracy theories. We have no intention of closing the building. We have not talked with developers. It's parkland that will remain parkland. We're not trying to get properties sold out there. So we need to put that to bed. There is a lot of things going on and the city, um, the mayor had asked for a memo submitted to the city commission that will deal with all the regards of the quest public questions we heard the other night at the city commission meeting. Um, that is forthcoming, um, but I did want to bring that to everyone's attention. Um, the management of the Prairie Park is being, uh, that is not the city manager, it's not finance, that's with the department. Um, there's just a lot of things moving on. My goal is to make it financially sustain sustainable, and that's what we're doing. We've got a lot of good things going out there. I love the Nature Center as much as everybody else. I grew up here. I was a snake uh, herpetologist, uh, biology aide for Stan Roth at LHS when I grew up. So yes, it's, it's special to me too. It's special to uh, most of us in the department and especially the uh, cultural piece. Our department's focusing on ensuring that this doesn't happen again, rectifying the damage to the natural period through collaboration with the Kansas Biological Survey, local and regional experts. We've been in touch with many of them. Some of the names have been mentioned tonight and also some of those folks were here this evening. Also through community collaboration, review and revising of our integrated pest management plan, which basically is a comprehensive parks maintenance plan to better manage all of our park resources. To provide more information this evening, I'd like to introduce Mark Hefker, Assistant Director of Parks and Recreation. He oversees our parks maintenance and our department. So where I've taken up on this is I've basically been investigating how and why this happened. So knowing that there was an error that happened, so I want to talk with staff and say, what was the target? What were we trying to do? What was the intention? And then what did we do? And did we follow city policy? So that's been my last week, is just really trying to understand what, what were you trying to do there? 
So what Derek said is correct. The error was blanket spraying a road in the prairie. Now, the gaps that I've found, which is really unfortunate, honestly, I knew it was a remnant birth. So to sit here and say none of us knew that, that's not factual. I knew that. We've been managing that prairie for 25 years. So we've made strategic sprays throughout the years for noxious weeds or invasive woody plant materials. That's happened nearly every year. Otherwise, that whole prairie would have been encroached with, with honeysuckle and sumac and, and poison ivy. And so that's been a management practice. The gap we had that's kind of hard to deal with is we've had a whole staff turnover. So that entire Park District 2 staff retired or left in the last three years. So we had a true institutional knowledge gap that that information did get passed from person to person. So the people doing the spraying thought, well, let's clean up the, the, the weeds, was their term, mm -hmm. in, in the prairie. But they were managing it as a grassland, which we manage thousands of acres of grassland. And in many cases, we are trying to eradicate the, the broadleaf weeds in those prairies. But this one is specifically different than other grasslands we manage throughout the city. So... Gap in, in institutional knowledge was huge. I knew it. The manager that oversee it didn't know. The supervisor didn't know. The field staff didn't know that that was a remnant prairie and it should have been treated differently. So what should have happened, we should have spot sprayed. We should not have blanket sprayed. Saying that right off the bat. Now, investigating, did the staff violate city policy? So we have an IPM policy that's pretty extensive. What's IPM? I, integrated Pest Management. So that was developed, staff actually developed it with local experts in 2005. We've been running with that management practice since that time. Now, in that policy, there's also a gap. So it doesn't specifically talk about remnant prairies, which it should. So there's a gap that needs to be written, and that needs to happen. And that's what we're meeting with the experts on. It's like, okay, what, what management practice should be lined up for this prairie so we don't have this issue again? So those things, two things in my mind have, have identified why this happened. Now, I still believe it shouldn't have happened, but I can't blame staff if they didn't know better. So that's my fault that information didn't get passed down to the next set of management for that park district. Going forward, I think what we have the opportunity to do is really sit down with the experts and go, okay, this prairie, it happened. Now, what's our restoration plan? What are we going to do moving forward to the next one, two, three, four, five years? And then what is our management plan? So that we have a written management plan that anybody can pick up and say, here's how we're going to manage this prairie going forward. And it changes. Honestly, if you go look at aerial photos from, from about 1999 when Nature Center was open until now, you can see how much the prairie has changed and how much the wooded area is encroached into the prairie. So as we look at that, we need to look at how do we stop some of that encroachment or is that a natural process that we need to allow to happen? My feeling is the prairie is the, the, the key driver in this. So we want to try to encourage the prairie to stay active. So anyway, that's a summary. Now we have a lot of work to do. So we have, we've already scheduled meetings, there are three of them this week with local experts and we're walking or talking with the uh, Johnson County Parks and Rec. All he does is do native prairie restoration and prairie management. So we're talking with him, we're having him come over and talk to us about, okay, what, how would you do this? And obviously we messed up here, so now let's get a plan together. So that's where we're going. There's still a lot of work to do and we need to write policy and obviously we need to educate staff. So 
that's where we're at today. And you might mention the director of Kansas Biological Survey and some of the partners that are coming. Right. So the, the, the director of the biological survey is coming in. She's got more resources in. We've also had Courtney Masters since she's volunteered. We've worked with Courtney on numerous projects. We've worked with her on a pollinator garden we put in at the dog park, 15 acre property. We've just, we're trying to establish now. Courtney and, I, Courtney and us are, are kind of partnering in many, many, many properties. And we've literally managed thousands of acres of grass tents. So this one is unique. And I wish we would have recognized it was unique before we did what we did. So thank you. Thank you, Mark. And, and Derek, and thank you for being so forthcoming. I think we all appreciate that. Okay, so um over the first. Questions from the board? Uh, I'd rather have the public comment. Yeah, John, we discussed earlier. Okay, it was a part of the timeline. I'm sorry. It's good for public comment because they have that meeting. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Again, this is no more than three minutes. I got a hand as well. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to start down the list here. So, hey, yes. I'm sorry. I'm going to step on this. I didn't want to leave by the door. Let me grab it. Once again, my name is Frisco. And uh, this uh, item, which I just said about having. Responsibly for that. That's the public transport. So, and this is not, uh, I think, as a Keystone institution, that should already because the benefit just more than, well, in a different sense than public transportation, which is going to be free. So, um, basically, information. And then also, these other issues naturally about, uh, you know, the, the intent and uh, the mistake and everything. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, the results are there. I mean, you know, Perry's dead. And you hear about Perry rest restorations. Perry restoration. You add water and boom, there they are. It's, it's you can get a couple of dozen plants, maybe. Equal. The thousands of year old permanent prairie that is gone. It's a fact, you know. So that um, I'm of the mind to, to, you know, have something like a cease and desist order in terms of managing these kinds of areas until still training comes comes up to, to par with everybody in the department. You know, without that, I mean, you need experts, you need to consult, but you also need, I, I think, a radical shift. Also, the idea, like you said, weeds, what are weeds and what are not weeds, we can spray for this and all this other stuff. So I think there needs to be a, a major overhaul of philosophy as well as practice. And to do that, I think you need uh, major stuff, not just saying, well, I'm going to pass on the information, it was a, it was a lapse, which Fine, that's good. That's a great start. But it's just a start. To really do it right, you really need somebody, I think, to to um, 
don't know, weaves are or something, you know, something that really knows people and can be intimately involved in the training of staff because that's, you know, you're managing these things. So then everybody will be up to par and, and hopefully prevent that again happening somewhere else. But it is a real drive. I'm really, really uh, shocked by that. And um, it just seems like uh, we can do much better as a city than the than, than short So that's another thing. Okay, we do have some people that were planning on attending, or all of you planning on attending the prairie vigil. The vigil and yeah. Yes. I'm also hoping with some of the organization. Is it all right if he steps? Yeah. I, yeah. So make sure. I'm going to apologize. I'm sorry for jumping ahead. Um, and I'm just going to set a timer. So I'm not. Well, I'm adjusting for myself so okay. I can not jump through too many points. So. Yeah, um, as I mentioned earlier, my name is Daniel Lastman. Uh, like Courtney Masterson, um, I'm someone with, uh, who's a restoration ecologist. Uh, we both have masters in restoration ecology, and have both done in our each of our own ways restorations of a wide variety of habitats, prairies, savannas, forests, whatnot. Um, to just piggyback on what um, Hank was saying, yeah, you can't. We don't know how to restore a prairie back. A, a good analogy would be if you had an old-growth field with sequoias, and there was one or two invasive bushes going th into the edge of the sequoias. And for reference, the more stable it is, the more it is resilient to stress, the more it can resist invasive species. Ecosystems are just like relationships in, or communities. The more strong that relationship or that community is, the more it can resist Stress are not going to be as destroyed when a certain stressor is coming. And the way these ecosystems work is like nothing happens, nothing happens. And then when stress gets past a certain point, you reach a threshold and everything changes. It's not a linear thing. But yeah, it's like you have this old growth grove and then you clear cut the whole thing as well as the shrub and say, hey, look, you know, I took care of the invasive shrub. Now, could you get some stuff back? Yes, but this will never recover. That's just fact. Now, this um, advisory, um, you know, um, board has an opportunity to align what it's putting out there with actions that are ongoing and will continue to go to go on, uh, regardless of whatever the board decides, regardless of whatever Parks and Rec does. Um, and the, there's three sets of actions. The first is that there needs to be an investigation completely independent of Parks and Rec. Um, with all due respect to the good management there, I, 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 you know, I think it's really important that, you know, that can really help put, um, you know, to bed any conspiracies, uh, because the fact is there's been knowledge gaps at points in the past, and this hasn't happened in the previous 25 years. And on top of that, this is on city land. This, this was right before rain event in the Triclopyr, uh, or I believe it was Triclopyr, the active pasture ingredient from the herbicide would have gone straight into Mary's Lake, where people fish. And now we're getting into a health issue here. And this, and we're getting into legal issues here, uh, regardless of where the protections are. The other two actions that the board can choose to align itself with or not, uh, or the, the, the group, is that there are proper management and restoration plans by default for all areas the city manages which have native plants. And also for this culture change and training. As just a brief last thing, Grasslands are never just grasses. There is no such thing as even a midgrass prairie or shortgrass prairie that's mostly grasses. A healthy grassland, whether it's a, rest, uh, a restoration 
or remnant is always a wide variety of forms and wildflowers. And with glasses, grasses holding it together as a glue. So, thank you. Yeah. Andrew? So, again, as I had also said, some pesticides. I, my Eagle Scout project was on restoring a, a small amount of the meta. And unfortunately, if you go up north, you will realize that honeysuckle is your enemy. A lot of forests have gone from being nice open areas that you can prance through to you can't even get a couple inches because of how dense the honeysuckle has gotten. So I totally understand the use of herbicides and pesticides. But the concern that I have is why, why the broad application? And again, I understand the breakdowns of communications. I worked for a scout camp that was underfunded for years. That was, we had our fair share of breakdown in communication. Everyone, including not only myself, who has worked with uh, our ecology conservation plans as part of our man land management, I feel that it would be helpful to not only know what is in these plans so that the expect in terms of time to expect in terms of budgetary constraints that could be imposed on it, but also give the community some idea of what what all has been lost. And again, I understand you guys are doing those surveys and working through that information as of now. Um, I feel that the communication with the community is really important going forward from someone who has worked as with our land management practices as our land up north. Again, I totally understand the use of that type of stuff, but I feel that there was a communication breakdown that this is a fairly communication breakdown. And I feel that the important part is to be open with the community as, as open as you can be to try and calm any sort of concerns or fears that the community may have. Thank you. Amanda, okay. Gavin, Gavin. All right, all right, okay, it's your fine. Michael. Hello, Michael Allen, uh, speaking for myself. And I'm not going to go into any of the ecological aspects of this, pretty much covered. Uh, but I do think that a number of people, including the board itself, has pointed out that, you know, there are budgetary constraints. Um, first of all, I want to thank Mark Hecker for acknowledging his role in this. He's been courageous and uh, sorry that you made a mistake, but thank you for being upfront. Um, Budget-wise, um, it seems like Basically, any in practically any department in the city, um, staff they're understaffed, and Parks and Rec is no different. Parks and Rec is a huge department with lots of responsibilities. Um, other than the policy and management plans, um, training, and all that, uh, whatever corrective approaches uh, you're going to take probably will require more money. I would think 
uh, maybe more staff, but certainly more training. Um, I'm not really big on generalized, um, top-down, hard, hardscape kind of uh, management. Uh, what I'm getting at is like the uh, the slogan I like to say. This will probably convey it. You know, if your only tool is a mower, every problem looks like a weed. You know, it's a paraphrase of that. Or if your only tool is herbicide. Um, I think a lot of this is going to take a lot of more direct, personal, staff, hands-on activity, which is going to be a budget issue. That's what I'm getting at, that you're probably going to need more staff and better trained staff. It's going to cost more. So I think it's important that not for this body here to tell the people in this room that they need to show up at the city budget hearings. I think this body here needs to be the top advocacy group at those budget hearings, the board itself. And I should point out that it's not going to be happening in June, July, and August. It's happening next week on the 16th, where the city commission is the very first time now you know, in the budget process setting price. They're saying, we're going to give more money to Parks and Rec or not. Next. So people should show up, but this board should also make their statement there too, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I'm second. She's I'll be much briefer this time. I'm sure others will talk about the ecological impact and uh, the damage done to the area that can be restored. Uh, mainly what I'm looking for is in the review of this and the betterment of training for the staff that actually went out there and did it, uh, I would like more transparency about the scheduling and when this happens. Uh, I have kids and family in that neighborhood that almost went and played in that field and almost went around there that day. And some of them have allergies, some of them don't, but with no notification, I have no idea the impact that could have happened to them. Uh, I see that there was treatment done at the Oak Hill Cemetery shortly after, and there was a notice put up. It wasn't a very informative break sign, but I think that's a positive step. If there was some sort of uh, public schedule or a way that the public could know when things then we can better treat or better identify when people or when kids could be out there. Uh, the mentioning of Mary's Lake now, that's another thing that also possibly going to be impacted. I don't want to go out there and fish if the herbicide is potentially going into that water. I don't want to go out there and risk myself to that. And I certainly don't want to risk any children or anyone in my family to that. But not having any idea that this really broadcast spray happened on Thursday morning, I mean, a weekday, right? Kids can go out there and play that afternoon. They can go out there and play during lunchtime. Uh, I really just feel like that's something that the city should take uh, pretty seriously in terms of safety and concern for the public awareness. Thank you. Christine, please. Oh, I, I, oh, you did. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ryan, are you talking? Ryan? Courtney? Masterson? Actually, I thought you left. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Andy? 
Sarah? <laughs> Austin? I mean, there's, another, there's another one too. There's two of them. Austin Attorney? Whichever one I have. I know, I skipped it. <laughs> Daniel? You just spoke. Daniel last. He just said. Oh, I had, yeah. <laughs> I had Joseph who's. Don Hopkins, did you want to? Yeah, sure. Okay. My name is Don. Um, I words. Um, read from my notes. I listened to the public comment regarding Prairie Park in general on my phone before coming in and their various concerns. Um, I also heard Director Rogers respond by saying he wanted to stick a fork in their um, concerns, referring to them as conspiracy theories. This is the wrong approach to addressing community, community concerns and creates an adversarial relationship with the community. We have a lot to learn about leading an organization that represents the public. Uh, I appreciate the approach that Mr. Hacker presented. He apologized, addressed the mistakes, and discussed ways to correct the problem. I would like to know more about this, you know, the transition problems with transition. Did, did outgoing staff not leave good notes? Um, is or has new staff not read them? Something's amiss here. Orange does have a long-standing um program managing some city parks without synthetic pesticides and fertilizers. And there should be a wealth of inform historical information that you can draw upon there. Um, staff who are spraying toxic chemicals should only operate on direct orders of a superior who not only understands longstanding community standards regarding toxic weed management and our historical natural resources, such as the pristine prairie at, at Prairie Park. But these staff also must be educated in longstanding community priorities, location-specific instructions, and be given OSHA-mandated MSDS data sheets for each and every chemical that they are applying. Hmm. That's just the notes that I, I made while, um, while listening. I didn't know if I would speak today, but um, obviously um, I had to stand here today because of the, the disaster of Grand Park. <clears throat> Hi, Lord Greenfield again. Um, my son is actually a state certified um, chemical can spray. Uh, so my questions here are, um, you know, who is that certification then under? Um, because they should have known the things that they were spraying and the notification. Uh, how would the public be aware of that spray? Um, we had kids, um, you know, the school could be taking part. Courtney's been uh, amazing with notifying the school the control burns um, and letting us know, you know, when, you know, we shouldn't be in certain areas, especially with the restoration um, over by the park. Um, so I'm wondering where the miss there was with the communication and how would I, as a public member, know that 
they were, you know, I shouldn't go in there um, because it's been sprayed. Um, I'm very aware of budgets. Uh, we're handling that with the school districts. We closed two schools. Um, we're tight. Um, we're going to have class sizes very large probably in the coming years. So I'm very aware of budgets. But this leads me to why was the gift shop closed? Why was the donation box taken away? You know, if, if we budgets are tight, why are we not looking for those other funding sources? Um, we offered last fall to be a part of a committee to help brainstorm possible, bring in corporate sponsors. Um, there are lots of different ways that we could be funding that source outside of Lawrence, bringing outside funds in. Um, and we are willing to help support and do that um, with you. Um, we want to be a partner, not against one another. Um, so how can we as the Neighborhood Association, um, the schools, how can we partner with this instead of being adversarial? Um, because that's a huge thing with our, uh, for our kids um, and our families. And we have families moving in to that area because of the Nature Center. Um, so I don't want to take that away. Um, our schools need the kids. We've seen that from our budgetary stance. So it, it, it's it's twofold here. Um, but we, we're willing to work with you. Don't be against us. So, thanks. Is everybody speak that needed to in the room? No, we're gonna get there. Now we'll go to Zoom. If you want to do the public comment, please raise your hand. Brett? Yeah, good evening. Uh, my name is Brett Ramey. I'm uh, from the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska. I'm a, a Lawrence citizen, um, live in North Lawrence, and I'm also a citizen um, of, of Minneapolis from talking to you from today um, in Oak Savannah that was sorted by my ancestors as recently as uh, early 1700s. Um, and so I wanted to just you know, offer Condolences to everybody in the room. I know this is a really, you know, um, sad time for a lot of people on on all sides of of this situation. And and I think from my from my standpoint, as unfortunate as, unfortunate as it is, it's also uh, not surprising. You know, it's really nothing nothing new for for Indigenous peoples to see things like this happen. And the issue here is, you know, the fact that there's so little left. That this one little precious remnant prairie is su such a big issue because um, just how little it remains since settlers arrived in the, in the beginning of Lawrence, you know, eighteen fifty four. And so, as we know, you know, the majority of the county was prairie prior to then. And um, but what is less often named is that it wasn't accidental that it was prairie before then. Um, it was prairie because it was actively stewarded by native people of the area through fire, through other stewardship practices. And, um, and really the displacement of the prairie was, di was directly coinciding with the displacement of the native people. And so in Lawrence, in many other places, you know, the ongoing invisibilization and lack of inclusion of native people in stewardship practices and decision-making really makes things like this more possible. And thinking about, you know, the broader context of the world we're in, the you know, World Bank is has issued you know, reports you know, stating that you know, 80 percent of the world's remaining biodiversity is an indigenous held lands, indigenous steward lands. 
Um, and so, you know, we can have a lot of conversations about native prairie and native plants and native pollinators, but often there's very little to know um, uh, consideration of native people in those conversations. And so my suggestion, I'm kind of drawn from my work as a climate resilience planner for my tribe of White Cloud, Kansas, um, who I'm not speaking in that official capacity today, um, but just seeing a lot of what we are in our efforts to restore oak savanna up there that is um, largely not oak savanna anymore because of suppression of fire um, and suppression of indigenous land stewardship. So we're kind of actively seeking to reverse a lot of that um, that historical erasure of our practices from the land. And so I think quite simply, there would be no native prairie without native people. I think that is, it could pretty much be stated. Um, buffalo would also be part of what a native led prairie would look like. I'm not suggesting Buffalo Prairie Park, they probably need a little more ground than that, um, but it wouldn't be, which shouldn't be able to consider what that would look like to restore the entirety of a native prairie to include ruminants, to include native people as well in the stewarding of those lands. And so I think just suggestions or thoughts, just based on my observations, um, to ensure that native people are represents in our lands. Um, you know, thinking about signage, you know, there's a big beautiful- Your time is up. Okay, so making sure we're on signage, making sure, of course it is. Thank you. Other public comments, please raise Point. Because okay. We'll bring it back to the board. We'll bring it back to the board now. So, um, so what do you all make of this? Questions for staff or reactions to comment to the comments? Um, I think we don't. Yeah, you know, I'm a little concerned that the board doesn't try to get, you know, way down in the weeds. Uh, um, we're not an operational board, we're a policy board, so, you know, we're not telling staff what to do. That's not part of our job, but the priorities are. So, comments from the board? Um, I'm an Amber Nickel board member. One that was just top of mind was the, is there something in place to let, as far as notification of spraying and I'm more, I'm curious about the spraying and notifying community and public of when that happens and if it would be dangerous for people to be in the prairie after it's been sprayed and. Yeah. In our IPM policy, there is a statement on signage that's posted 24 hours prior to spraying and stays in place 24 hours after. Okay. Other board. Comments. Is there a way to like uh, Sam Thomas board member? Is there a way to like put that online or like have like it part of like a like newsletter type system to send out to emails of people in that community? The entire IPM policy is online, so anybody can go and read it. Um, well, because we spray different locations throughout the city, so if we spray a flower bed here at South Park, mm -hmm. we have to basically notify each of the entrances to the park if you're entering an area that something was sprayed. So I think the best way to address that is at the field or at the spot and try to say, okay, where might people come in contact with this, whatever we're spraying. And that's been very successful over the years. So I think that's still a good policy. 
John, this is John Blazik, board member. Um, Mark, Derek, was there a spray notice? We heard. I listened to one patron talk about kids were going to go play. Was there a notice when they went to spray their foul up this time? Was there a notice there for our community members? No, there was not. Hmm. Okay. Let me ask you this. I mean, I just, I'm just hearing excuse after excuse. Can I, can I also find out who, why was there no follow-up? Somebody mentioned something, another community taxpayer, talk about a year ago, he must have had a Nature Center think study group, and there was no follow-up. Why not? Who, whose ball, where does that ball drop? Lindsay Hart, assistant director, we're still planning on follow-up. We sent an email out afterwards and we thanked everybody who attended. Um, we do still have plans to involve the community and we definitely, you know, look forward to help, especially as we work with sponsorships and in general for the department moving forward. Um, recently, we've had some staffing changes and so we haven't had a chance to get the group together for another community meeting. So unfortunately those plans got stalled a little bit over the last few months, but we definitely have what we need. Um, we have you know budget plans in place for this year and uh, we feel really good about the nature center right now and, and you know programming and things that are going on. So um, it's definitely still coming and it's something we will work on throughout the year. Lindsay, that's an excuse. I mean, that's all I'm hearing. Uh, <laughs> That's an excuse. That's been a year a year okay, waiting. Fine. Okay, fine. You made your point. Let's move on. John, don't do that to me, buddy. I am. I'm a committee member, and I can ask questions for the taxpayers. Don't yeah. sit there try to be the mayor. You're a committee member, just like me, and I want an answer for the members that ask. All we do is hear excuses. I've got a lot of questions tonight. So, John, don't step over me. Buddy, Lindsay, now back to that. That's been a year follow-up? Come on now. These are taxpayers, people, that you're treating this way. We didn't put signs out for spraying. We didn't follow up in a year. And these are just two or three things that I've written down. I mean, somewhere the buck's got to stop with production and not excuses. I mean... I watched the mill levy raising again. I know your flow chart. I've got 10 people here that are over $100,000 a piece, and all I hear is excuses. Somebody's got to make answers. Derek, Mark, Lindsay, somebody's got to answer the community members, or maybe we need to change. Y'all make $100,000 a piece. Come on, man. This isn't the time, place. It's free. This is these are these are internal. They're internal personnel matters. Yeah, you can find it. Um, this is Marilyn Hull, board member. I have a couple of comments I want to make. I'd like to thank everybody who commented in person, Zoom, or in writing. It occurs to me that we have an amazing wealth of knowledge in this community. How we move on from this. It's good if you're, you're saying, well, we're meeting with this person, we're meeting with that person. But I would like to see um, some sort of group formed 
And I think the advisory board would like to be able to track, are you going to get from the people that are passionate right at the moment to some policy changes, you know, some um, staff training? There needs to be some accountability. And people like Courtney Masterson, uh, Dan Lastman, and Ken, uh, Helen Alexander, these people uh, devote their life to this, and they're offering to help us. So I want to make sure we capture all of that. The other thing I wanted to announce to the people who um, have commented or are listening is that um, Parks and Rec just kicked off its comprehensive planning process, which is something that only takes place, I don't know, every five to 10 years. And as part of that, there are going to be multiple opportunities for public input. Um, and any citizen can participate and um, emphasize that priorities or values that they think need to be included in this plan. So um, watch for that, uh, stay tuned for that, because that's a perfect opportunity for you to come up again and raise you know, what your hopes are. Thanks, Jennifer. Jackie Becker. I also want to thank everyone for attending. Uh, you know, part of being a citizen of this community is to always be engaged, whether it's when it comes down to the budgets, like we were working with in January, we're looking at fees in terms of figuring these things out. Your voices are important, they are heard. And as an advisory board, we are a volunteer advisory board. We, we take as much in as we can, we listen, and we hope we can come up with some type of suggestions to Lawrence Parks and Rec Department, the paid people of our community who are trying to solve solutions. Uh, with that being said, I do wanna know a little bit about the people who were talking about the donation box going away and the gift shop closing. Uh, I missed that somehow in everything else I've been reading. So could we have a little expansion on what's happening there uh, in terms of- That's a request that's going forward to the, the mayor and the um, city commission. So when we share that with the city commission, we'll share with the Parks and Rec Advisory Board. We have done some things like donations now are online. So we are streamlining the way we do some of our processes. So some of that's transition. But the update would come. And so then uh, other questions are, since there's been a, a gap, because we all know budgets have been something we've been dealing with for years. And many of us on our board regularly asked about who have lost their jobs and things like that. And how are we cutting budgets? Was there a position cut? Is there something missing in the LPRD in parks? Like, was there something with native lands? Did we have a, so there was turnover. I mean, was the spot never filled because we're trying to meet a budget or, or can you kind of share a little bit on that? No, I, so the institutional knowledge that I speak of is the, the manager, the supervisor, and even the field staff, the whole division retired within three years. So that's where we lost the institutional knowledge that should have been passed on. So we didn't specifically lose a position. The gap we have is we don't really have a horticulture that's targeted towards native plantings. So one of my solutions thoughts is I maybe need to start refocusing one of our horticultural staff to become not an expert, but at least begin the learning curve of, okay, if we have this, then who do I talk to, to, to establish this? So we have horticulturists on staff. Most are trained in ornamental horticulture. So that's the, the standard landscaping that we use everywhere. So that's a gap in our staffing that, you know, can we 
repurpose one. A lot of bigger departments have a specific ecologist, biologist on staff, but that's their job is to manage native properties. So yeah, as I look through this, I can take a number of things that we should do better there and there and there, but it becomes a budgetary issue that, you know, can I just request a new position? Probably not. I don't know that I'd be successful in getting that funded, but other board comments. I had a thought too that um, the um, the next time we have a vacancy on the board, that um, we might ask the um, the city commission to uh, look into somebody who um, on the board would be have more specialized uh, knowledge. So we'll see if that see if that might work as well. Okay, so um, are we ready to move on? Okay, next item is uh, Parks, Rec, Recreation, Arts, and Culture Comprehensive Plan Steering Committee update. That's order. Good evening, everybody. Um, just a brief update on that as. Um, as was stated, we're in the process of getting that started. The first step in this process is to open an application online for people to submit to the um, uh, to be part of the steering committee. So we have that all ready to go. I'm running through a couple of um, final reviews on that, and then we're going to get that out with a campaign to the community. Anybody can submit their application for that process. We're going to work with our consultant team to review those applications and. Uh, uh, craft an uh, excellent steering committee. And tell us what the purpose of the steering committee is, Porter. The steering committee will oversee the um, the general. They're going to work directly with the uh, consultant team, Confluence, and that team. And they're going to oversee the uh, process and review the documents as we work through the process with them. So they'll be the primary body overseeing that process, but there will also be an extensive amount of community engagement as part of this process as well. So this will not be the only group that we hear from. This will just be the steering committee group that will work most closely with the consultant team. So it's a shame that uh, that all the public comment is gone because that would be, you know, applying to be a member of the steering committee uh, for this comprehensive plan would be, uh, would be a, a, a move in the direction that you're seeking. Marilyn Hall, board member Porter, would it be possible to share this application with all the members of this advisory board um, so that, you know, if we know people that we think would be good, we could good help disseminate this information. And when you say the application's going out, what do you mean by going out? <laughs> So we're going to mount a campaign and do exactly what you just asked for to make sure that anybody with any interest and any thoughts of anybody that might want to participate in this um, can send that information to those folks and make sure that they're aware of this. And um, so, yes, we will definitely get this information to you. We're going to have a press release. We'll use social media to make sure that the broader community knows what this uh, application is for. And the application itself contains a lot of background information. So folks can go to this one web page, review the information, and literally fill out the application form at the bottom of that page. 
Amber Nickel board member. So how many, what's the ideal number that will be on the steering committee and what type of members are you looking for? Derek, can you help me make sure I get the numbers right? I think we're at um, nine to 12, if I remember correctly. I can't recall directly. I know the uh, confluence one, the number smaller, but it tends to get bigger when you start to lick it. I think our last one had 16 on the steering committee. Some of the things that are uh, qualities to look forward is uh, people that are open that may be specialized and have their one niche that they really like about Parks and Rec, whether it be a sport or parks or trails, but yet being open to listening to everybody's uh, opinions and thoughts and being able to value it at the bigger level of a vision and community. It's going to require, I believe, six to eight meetings at two hours a meeting. So it's really critical that members of the steering committee attend all the meetings. Um, there will also be all the stakeholders. So if they're not on the steering committee, there's a whole lot of state, uh, stakeholders. Oh, I'd say 100, but who knows? Because um, you got soccer fans, baseball fans, uh, Dog run folks, trails folks, mountain bike clubs, disc golf clubs, skate clubs. It's it's a whole variety that will get an opportunity to engage in the plan. Um, Mark or Marilyn, I know, participated in the last one. I don't know if you have any other comments or thoughts. Could we could we actually have kind of a poster out at the nature center saying, you know, if you're interested, please apply to become a member of the steering committee. That goes for all rec facilities. With a URL code. It'd be nice to have it in the I mean, I should have all of the user groups represented, right. but it's also or even more important to have the various populations of Lawrence and Gulf. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so more widely, this can be disseminated, not just to the usual suspects who are presidents of this or little interest group, but um, to the community in general who may have broader interests and want to represent their their neighborhood or whatever. With their golf course. Uh, Jackie Becker, in terms of stakeholders, what type of commitment are for those people? What do you see that's one meeting, two meetings, it's online, is it actually gathering or what's I think they've got a mix of media and input. Uh, Mark can probably speak better from last time on the stakeholder engagement. Yeah, and basically, yeah, the steering committee, then the consultant and the steering committee come up with public engagement sessions. So either they're online or they're in person. And then they usually try to make sure that user groups are invited that, hey, by the way, we're having a meeting Tuesday. Come. So they try to get a really wide range of inputs because, you know, if you get 15 pickleball people, the right. whole thing becomes pickleball. <laughs> you didn't even hear me. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, yeah. you, you, know, you were going to yeah, perfect. <laughs> but no, it, it's it, like Derek said, I know we have 120 plus user groups that we work with. So it's it's hard to get everyone's voice heard. That's the goal of consultant. And follow up, do you have to be over 18 to participate, or can you be a teenager? Can you be younger? Porter, do you remember the demographics on the form? What the age? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I, two things. One, I would be remiss not to remind everybody that this is the Parks, Recreation, Arts, and Culture Comprehensive Plan. 
So with everybody that you've mentioned, we also want to make sure this gets out to our arts and culture community for their feedback as we move into unmistakable identity per the strategic plan. Um, so you're all on the right track. And I think the key here is literally anybody can apply. I would say probably, you know, I, I don't think we would, if somebody really has the time and they're under 18, but probably over 16, um, you know, certainly they'd be considered. So um, definitely, and we have those demographics, we're asking for that information so we know, because to Marilyn's point, you know, we, we want to expand this as much diversity as possible. So getting younger people to the table is really valuable in this sense. And um, again, if they can't do it as a steering committee member, they certainly can participate in a, um, in some of the community engagement aspects that are out there. We're certainly going to do a lot of work to reach out to those folks as well. Um, what, what was your question, Derek? I'm sorry, I got on my soapbox. I on the, uh, the forum, we had the different demographics of yeah. the age, and I couldn't remember what the bottom age was. <laughs> We, we actually don't have, we didn't put an age limitation on it. Um, so that was something we debated. Um, I'd certainly take some uh, response from the board. I think typically it's 18 and up. Um, but if, again, if we had somebody who was 16, 17 years old that was really interested in this, we might consider them. It's uh, 10 minutes to seven. I think we need to move on a little bit here. So uh, can we go to the, um, to the next item, uh, project update, Lions Park, Broken Arrow Really quickly, Lions Park, if you haven't been by there, the splash pad's being constructed. So I don't know if they poured concrete, but they're getting pretty close to the end of last week. So that's moving right along. The Broken Arrow Park shelter is not moving right along, but we hope to get it moving here next week. So it was supposed to start three weeks ago, and we kind of ran into some permitting problems. So the contractor should be back on site and ready to roll. So it'll be through the summer on that construction. Used to be in my backyard. Oh yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, let's see, other, oh, concerns, uh, advisory board members, uh, areas of concern or interest that we haven't already kind of talked about? This is Marilyn Hall, board member. I just, I, I want to, um, reinforce the importance of continuing to engage with the Liarda um, oh. interest group. Um, they, they need some things in parks and rec. I think, Mark, you're, you're in conversation with them right now, but I think it's super important. I mean, here we have um, an ethnic minority, somewhat disadvantaged, at least for some of them, and they're just asking for a small thing. And I think we have to just really bust our butts to make that happen for them and prioritize it. Thank you, thank you, Mary. Um, John, this is John Blazik. I have I have two or three questions for people. Um, help me out a little bit. I, I'm getting tired of you know the concession stands down at the softball and baseball fields, and I know you've signed a contract for through 23, and I don't know if it's Derek or Lindsay. But I pulled up our flow chart of our workers, and we've got a director, three assistant directors, and seven managers. And I'm just amazed because I know I asked the golf people the other day on what they make on concessions with a two-person guy. And I've heard Taylor talk about plenty of part-time. Every penny is valuable, guys. And I just see our mill levies going up again. 
are you thinking about doing your own concessions? I mean, there's tw there's 10 of you. Seven of you don't live in town. You're all over 100K. That can't be that hard of a project to put together concession stands around the city. I mean, I was a principal and I asked two parents to volunteer to do it and they did it for me. This isn't rocket scientists and you're missing so much income. And I know seven of you don't live in town and I'm gonna bring it up again. There's no buy-in because when Lee Ice was still here on the committee, we never heard these kind of complaints. I, I mean, for six years. So where are you at on your concession stands? Are you looking? I mean, part, you go find cheerleaders, you do Boy Scouts, you have mega people that would come work those things. It takes some work to stock them, sure does. But come on, you're not, don't, you gotta work for the taxpayers. You don't live here. So I know you don't come back to these events. And I would imagine you probably don't have your own kids in these events. You go home and stay there. Just like on the soccer tournament two weeks ago, the gate was supposed to be open at five, 6 a.m. Didn't get open until 7.30. Somebody had to come from Topeka to do it. Where are you at on your concession stands thought process for next year, Derek or Lindsay? Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Um, we were in uh, an agreement with Sandbar, which ended on April 30th. Um, and so we were not able to do anything until that ended. In the meantime, about a month ago, we put out an RFP to bid for our concessions for this next calendar year. Um, so that has not been selected yet. Um, we are currently working through the bids and those will be put on um, an upcoming commission agenda for approval. Um, it looks like it'll be the 16th. Um, and so we can't yet say uh, what that's gonna look like since the bids have not been um, announced and approved. Um, I will say in the meantime, we just installed vending machines at Clinton Lake Softball Complex, YSC and Holcomb. Um, actually, I believe the ones at YSC are coming this week. Uh, and so we will make sure that those are available at all times um, during weekends, during leagues, during tournaments. Uh, those are um, gonna be located inside the concession buildings at each area, uh, with the exception of Clinton Lake, those will be outside. So those will be available at all times. Um, we are aware that um, the past few tournaments, when we knew we did not have a vendor, um, we made sure that we had water jugs with cups available at each location, um, just to make sure there was always at least water available. Um, and so moving forward, we will, um, we also reached out to food trucks. Um, we called every food truck we could find on short notice again, um, until April 30th, um, we weren't able to do anything because the <coughs> vendor had the ability to to come or not come if they wanted to or not. Um, so we were, our hands were tied a little bit there, but um, we have been able to get a food truck out there the last few weekends um, to help fill the gaps. So we're continuing to analyze that and doing what we can to at a minimum make sure that we will always have vending machines with um, water um, and other, uh, at least drinks available. So the bids you so, were talking about, you're looking to outsources, outsource it again and just lose 100, 200,000 over a year? Is that what the bids are for somebody else to come in and do it? Yeah, it, it is to outsource it, yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Do you get a kickback from the vendors or anything? I mean, you're yes, in the red, guys, 2.4 million. We do. That's part of the bid process. What is your percentage? 
it depends on what they bid. It's it's a it's a competitive bid. So again, that's going to be that that will be part of the agreement that's um, going to be on the 16th. So you're saying the 10 of so you guys a, can't come up in a director's role to figure out how to do it, where you get 100% kickback, like the golf course does. I'm I'm lost on that. I mean, our community members deserve better than that. Sambar is a great example of that. Sambar had the contract and. I think we had a hard time getting them to even staff some of our locations because it wasn't profitable. And then during the COVID to get um, people out because we wanted to make sure that our participants had concessions available, we did everything we could. And that was working with Lee to get food trucks out there to these places so that concessions were available for the participants of this program using those facilities. Um, one other thing just to note, um, this weekend, Lindsay, Mark, Roger, and myself were both out at Centennial Park for the vertical ramp dedication. Lindsay was going out to SPL and YSC on Saturday to watch multiple events out there. And I know Mark was out at YSC watching multiple events during this uh, baseball tournament going on this weekend. So quite a few of the staffs and Roger was here taking photos of, of quite a few things. So albeit some of these staff live outside of Lawrence, they put a lot of time in Lawrence on this last weekend, that's for sure. Well, last weekend, that's good. I hope I see them. But you're talking back, go back about your sandbar. I mean, is it is it really that hard to do your own concessions? I know what you make profit-wise, guys, in a year. John, you need to have a separate conversation with John. John, I'm asking these for community members. I have the right to ask a question, John. So I'm just looking for a simple answer for community yeah. members that have contacted me yeah. that won't contact you because how you treat them. Do you realize nobody's listening to you? That's okay, John. That's right. uh, hey, hey, John, I do want to tell you as someone who has worked in the entertainment industry for 30 years, I can tell you right now that at our events, we are seeing some of the slowest, least profitable concessions that we've seen at our bars, at our restaurants and our venues inside our spaces that we work. And that's just from me doing the private work that I do. Uh, it's a lot more challenging than you think to try to staff right now to get kids to want to work something for a reasonable pay and whatnot. So I think this is maybe something that maybe we can, as a board, maybe we can show some assistance with this, or it could be part of another committee that maybe we can offer some advice on, or we should keep note of when the next contract is up. We should, you know, assist in being on top of that to make sure there won't be gaps coming in the future. But I can definitely say concession-wise, uh, alcohol sales are tremendously down. We find that because food prices have gone up, things are yeah. more expensive, and so you just don't see as many sales as you're seeing potentially in the past, you know, prior to COVID. And that's just my own personal experience with what I deal with in the industry that I work. Okay, I appreciate Hello, it. No, Thank you for your thoughts. I, I'd just like to say, John, we all represent the taxpayers. You're not the only one, but we're, you know, trying to be mindful of the time and of our agenda. And But the fact that you bring up people's salaries all the time, I think that that should go somewhere else. I don't know that that belongs here. Well, and I don't think I've ever, I've to, never mentioned the someone name. Someone who had to commute to Kansas City for five years, it's sometimes hard to find a job in your town, period. Okay, not gonna go there. Don't talk about names. I'm just talking about facts. We pay the highest taxes in their state around here. 
and I'm just trying to stand up for these people to get a cup of water at a softball game. So just another excuse. Thanks. Go on, John. Have your meeting because you're friendly. I'm okay. tired of that behavior. Okay, can we move on now? Jackie um, Becker, I do have another question. I know an email went out last month from Rob Brooks, Rob Brooks about the bees. Mm. And I don't, I wasn't sure if that's something we should talk about now, or is, mm. is there progress on where we're at with the bee world? I don't have an update. Tyler, okay. I'd have to give us Tyler to find out what the update is. Right. I haven't heard. Okay, because he had some really good thoughts. He did have some good ideas. Okay, let's make sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, restroom at Edgewood Park. That project is very, very slow moving, so I don't have a good update. It's trying to get through the CDBG funding hoops. Oh. So that's our biggest hangout is meeting the environmental uh, impact study to be eligible to fund with CDBG funds. We haven't gotten very far yet. Arts and culture update, uh, order. Um, just a quick update. We're, um, you know, working with the Cultural Arts Commission. We have the outdoor downtown sculpture exhibition getting pulled together. That will be celebrated and opened up on final Friday in June, June 30th. And we're also implementing the community arts grants for the seven awardees for that program as well. And they are actively, the Cultural Arts Commission is also actively working on the Phoenix Awards um, and seeking nominations, as a matter of fact, I'll email that out to you folks. Um, if you know anybody that should be nominated to be recognized for their contributions in arts and culture in Lawrence. Thanks, Porter. Derek, what, what is Porter being, uh, becoming a part of Parks and Rec? What's it meant to you guys? It has been a huge benefit because that, we all know that we're all carrying different, wearing different hats and, and like what we'd like to have would be a person to do accreditation, a person to do budget. So we don't have some of these things and instead we're wearing multiple hats. So it has been a real benefit to help with getting arts and culture projects going, but also on the communications, he brings a vast array of communications experience to our department that we greatly need. And it's almost, it is moving towards, we had this discussion more of an unmistakable identity outcome than to say this is a department parks and rec or, or this. So we'll see where it goes with the comprehensive plan, but I think that is worth looking at. And who knows how far down the road, but it will be budgeting by outcome areas yeah. at some point. Okay, a park update. Uh, uh, quickly, Derek mentioned the Burt Ramp grand opening this oh, past weekend. That was a great event. It was, awesome. it was really cool to see just a different crowd than you normally see. <laughs> and it was a huge crowd. And the music was great. The expert skaters and the bike guy. I was, it was very impressive. Um, the horse staff's right in the middle of flower planting. So if you recall, the annual flower budget was cut last year. So what we do, what we're doing is transitioning some of those plantings to perennial plantings. So perennials will be going in with the annuals, perennials will carry on for future years. There'll still be annual color in the very high targeted spots like downtown, but and some of the South Park beds. But that's busy right now. We're doing volunteer groups to help us plant. And it's it's always a lot of hands-on, hand on your knees work to get all those flowers in. So 
Arboretum Ponds, we've been doing a pretty significant project out there. If you haven't been out there, the top pond was basically leaking under the waterfall instead of over the waterfall. So we had a construction project to revamp that waterfall. Then the second waterfall was also leaking. So they're currently working on revamping that one so that the waterfalls will fall where they're supposed to be. And it's kind of a weird project because once it's done, you won't even notice that we did anything, but it's more or less keeping the, the aesthetic value of that park going. So uh, besides that, cemetery preps in full gear, so we're heading for Memorial Weekend. Everything there has to be just perfect for that whole weekend because we have some eight visitors. And then pool preps rolling too, which seems weird that we're getting ready for the opening of the summer season. And then the spray park, Roberto's Creek opens this Saturday. Oh, so we're ready to roll with that. The weather's cooperating, so lots of things going on. Very, very, very busy. Oh, we should have a, another ribbon cutting. There you go. There you go. An annual ribbon cutting. Yeah. Get the kids out there. Uh, recreation update. Well, this Valor No Board, I, I just wanted to. I don't know, make a comment about we're always talking about budgets and sustainability, but then we have something like the Burt Ramp, which may bring people in. You said it's a regional thing. So, and we're not really counting the money that's bringing into town, are we? So it's not bringing it directly to us. But so I think that we have to have a sort of a new way to think about the economy of how we benefit Lawrence. You know, um, we're trying to sustain ourselves financially, but we're also helping Lawrence in a lot of ways. Yeah, the indirect benefit. They brought a professional skater in from San Diego. Uh, they had professionals from Kansas City. They had folks came up from Arkansas and folks that came up from which Minnesota. And what's that? There's a few people that came from Minnesota. And from Minnesota. So this in the skate community and um, is a big deal. And I, I think that Lawrence is on the map um, in the skate community and we'll get a lot of good press on what the city of Lawrence is doing and Parks and Rec and working with the skate organizations to put in amenities like this. Do you wanna, you wanna speak to that? Oh, I mean, yeah, it is really successful. Uh, Are you a skater? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was, I mean, I was talking to Darren Never, a professional, he's actually from Overland Park, there originally, I think, but uh, he was saying, like, yeah, people kind of, like, if you have anything like a 500 mile radius, like, people are going to come because it's, there's not that many uh, amenities like that available publicly, like, there's a lot of private stuff, but yeah, I know, it's super great to see how, that was just a representation of how you can see people coming into town uh, you know, we're able to provide that for you know. And there's no fee, right? <laughs> <laughs> I bet there. I bet there might be not fun. even for parking. <laughs> there might be sponsorship opportunities uh, out there in some way. Okay. Uh, let's see. Recreation update. Um, I interrupted once. Yeah, that's right. Just a few quick things. Um, on sponsorships, we're just continuing to meet monthly with our sponsorship task force and. Um, we um, have banners out at all the fields. So if you're out at any of the complexes, you'll see we are starting to get some sponsors signed up. We also put our own banners up to promote the program and the opportunities. So 
you're going to start seeing signage at our facilities, just trying to get the word out a little more that we do have sponsorship opportunities available. So again, we continue to build on it each month, and um, it's been really exciting to see some things already, um, you know, moving along in, in effect. Um, we also started online tea times at Eagle Band Golf Course um, a few weeks ago. So uh, for all you golfers out there, you can now um, get your time online. Um, and then the summer activity guide um, came out, uh, well, registration started May 1st, but we, we did our first hard copy in the last few years, and those are, I don't know if they're in yet, oh, yeah. so they're not in yet, but they'll be coming soon, so we do have hard copies coming for the summer guide, so, um, and they'll be at all the facilities. Um, yeah, yeah. So we just instead of mailing them all out, we're just kind of coming back slow and um, we're going to have them available at the facilities if anybody does want a hard copy. Right. Um, Derek, you have uh, some comments? One thing we've been working on um, with the neighborhood associations that started with uh, Kevin Elliott, he's spoken at quite a few of the city commission meetings on cleaning up homeless areas. So he started out as a uh, quad neighborhood cleanup and we're so far beyond that i first point out is it's the uh, camp behind amtrak station with the uh, east lawrence neighborhood association and the campers um for cities providing support from that that's going to be a self-cleanup uh, they're serving lunch they're doing doing some great things we haven't done this for a while and kevin took the lead on that so we really appreciate his help um he is in North Lawrence, um, but has helped organize quite a bit. So another one is behind Sandra Shaw um, with the Pickney Neighborhood Association. That one's scheduled for May 21st. Um, I know they're looking to be looking for uh, some help and some volunteers. Some of that on some of these camps, um, they're trying to keep it, I think, a little lower key. We'll provide support from the city. Uh, North Lawrence on Saturday, June 10th, their neighborhood association in coordination is looking at a cleanup around the boat ramp, 10 to 1. Uh, Centennial Park, there's some uh, uh, cleanup that's adjacent to Centennial Park. I think it's on KDOT property. And the Sunset Hills Neighborhood Association's offered to help out there. That's Saturday, June 24th. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think I mentioned Brook Creek on June 3rd with the uh, Brook Creek Neighborhood Association. So what started out as, I think, some of the focus on some of the camps in North Lawrence and around there and along the river has really expanded. Um, Kevin's got a lot of questions, and we're trying to provide support as fast as we can and just request wheelbarrows and you know, some of the things that are kind of difficult when we're doing a lot of landscaping work. So. Okay, any um, final thoughts by the, um, any board members? Yeah, I'm Jackie Backer. Okay. I do have a question, John. You talked about something with city commission forthcoming. Is that was the board or is that, yeah, could you, I need some expansion on what that is. The mayor at the last city commission meeting requested a memo to the mayor on the public comments that were made at the last meeting. And so when we have that memo ready to go, uh, we'll also send it, besides sending all the city commissioners, we'll send it through the Parks Rec Advisory Board. Yeah. Thank you. And checking on the B boxes, if it does look like we've got that agreement signed and he's gonna be installing, I'll let you guys know, not just wait until the next meeting, okay? Sure. I'll check into that. I have one question, if you're like a board member, I think it was Mr. Allman that brought up, um, the advisory board should be advocating to the commission about budget requests. Is that 
Help me understand if that would be how that works. <laughs> so budgets are submitted. Then the city manager has to come out with his recommended budget. So that's the point where public comment is appropriate for interest, interested folks. So if you see that start up, up, pop up on the city commission agenda, that's the time where they start kind of hearing from different groups that this is what we'd like to see funded or or if you disagree with the city manager's budget or agree with the city manager's budget or we feel like additional resources should be put here. So that's usually the best place to engage. The CIP is a different one. So it kind of runs a different cycle that ends up in the same place at the end of the year. So the CIP is the bigger projects that, you know, whatever we're proposing for the years. And, you know, those are $100,000 plus projects. So up to multiple millions of dollars on a bigger MSO project. So those are two engagements points that, you know, keep your eyes open for, or we can alert you to the budget calendars, things for the rest. Not next Tuesday. No. Now that's where the city commission starts saying this is kind of our, what we think. Oh, okay. Is, yeah, because yeah, we could, if we, knew, yeah. we could advocate, or we could, you know, on behalf of the board. Well, I think it's fair to, multiple times it's come up about how we impact the city in a positive way, but the, that is not necessarily reflected through the economy and things like that, dollar-wise, so say that <laughs> And I'll have to look at that agenda item. I wasn't aware of that coming up shortly. Usually that's the city commission kind of giving the city manager some thoughts on here's where we'd like to see things go as you develop the budget. So. At Maryland Hall board member, I mean, historically, we haven't really engaged in making recommendations. Um, so it seems like that's something we would need to think about get over maybe a couple meetings and, and decide what we're going to do for the future. But it feels like we're a little bit late yeah. for this year. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have two questions. Mm -hmm. Just wondering. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yes or no. One uh, is the director of the uh, nature center uh, who retired uh, going to be replaced. And two, this uh, you mentioned you do sponsorships at the, at the baseball fields and things. Could sponsorships be out of the nature center for the different prairies or the different exhibits? On the, the sponsorship is premature, but I am looking at something that I think will be beneficial. In the short term, I think we've got some eyes on things that are, looks very promising, but I'm not going to get into too much detail right now. Okay, so our next board meeting is 5.30. Answer second question. Thank you. The retirement. We, we can't discuss personnel issues right now, so... Um, there's well, he asked earlier if uh, all the positions were filled. That's that's why that question came to mind. We're just wondering if that was going to be filled, not details of it. Yeah, we'll review. Any um, didn't we talk about um, to Hank's question? We don't expect Prairie Park Nature Center to recover 100. percent It's based on a cost recovery model, so it's heavily subsidized. So the subsidy has been been less, but. Um, we're not quite that far down the road, but we're reviewing as we look to be financially uh, sustainable and what goes on and how we how we manage and how can we improve things. So 
Can we get a report at the next meeting on where you are on all that? Yes. Uh, this goes back to transparency that yes. people mentioned. Uh, I, I don't think we've ever heard since there was the community input meeting what specific actions have been taken and what forms are planned. An update on my statement. Sounds good. Sure. Good. Okay, can we have a motion to adjourn? Amber Nichols, so moved. Second. Jackie Becker, second. Uh, moved and seconded to adjourn. Anybody opposed? Okay, thank you all. I'm sorry.